Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. Normally, I'm your co-host, Mike, but unfortunately, we had a bunch of technical difficulties this week. So John and I, both last night and today, tried to record this podcast several times, but unfortunately, John is traveling for work, and he is at a hotel that he says is a very nice hotel but has really egregiously bad internet. So we are upset with the Landing Hotel Resort and Casino in Schenectady, New York. That's who I am personally and John is upset with for having terrible internet. And there's nowhere else for John to go to because he's kind of out, you know, away from other things in town. So it's not like he can just go to a coffee shop or anything. So... That is my long-winded way of saying we do not have John for this podcast. However, John will be back for sure with much better Wi-Fi. He will be back for the review podcast um, after championship weekend this weekend. So you can look forward to John being back for that. Um, In the meantime, you have me. And I say we dive right into the week 13 games. So we'll review those and talk a little bit about the things that have happened since then. Um, People in the transfer portal, you know, stuff like coaches getting fired and hired, stuff like that. So we'll touch on those things briefly. Um, John and I will go more in depth, though, on on uh, all the all the coaching carousel stuff in our next podcast. So you can look forward to that. All right. Let's get right into it. We had. The Iowa Hawkeyes, 13. This was a Black Friday game. The Nebraska Cornhuskers, 10. Iowa QB Deacon Hill put his past two solid performances behind him and reverted to his previously below-average play, going 11 for 28 for 94 yards on a paltry 3.4 yards per attempt, zero TDs, and one interception. It was not a good day for Deacon Hill. Fortunately for Iowa, it was a really good day for running back LeSean Williams, who had 11, um, who had a really nice day rushing the ball and averaged 6.9 yards per attempt, including a 53-yard burst. Caleb Johnson chipped in 30 yards for on 10 carries, so he had a tough time getting going. Um, but luckily, LeSean Williams had a great day. Uh, tight end Steven Stilianos led Iowa with two catches for 38 yards. It was just not a good day for the Iowa passing attack. And on D, Sebastian Castro had two tackles for loss, so it was a good day for him. For Nebraska, QB Chubba Purdy was 15 for 28 for 189 yards, one TD, and one interception with a QBR 59.9. So Purdy had his ups and downs on Friday for sure. Uh, Nebraska had a tough time running the ball. Chubba Purdy had 42 yards rushing on just 3.5 yards per rush, and Emmett Johnson couldn't get going at all. Johnson had just 27 yards on 11 carries for 2.5 yards per rush. So the Iowa run defense was stout all day long. Uh, For Nebraska, wide receiver Jalen Lloyd had just one catch, but it was a doozy for a 66-yard TD. This got Nebraska back in the game in the first half when they were previously down 10-0, His touchdown made it a 10-7 game and gave Nebraska a real shot to compete in the game. So that was a really key play um, in this football game. So let's talk about the game winner. After he barely cleared the crossbar 
with his first attempt of the season as time ran out Friday to beat Nebraska 13-10. Iowa backup kicker Marshall Meter was never happier that he transferred to Iowa, um, clearly. His opportunity for the 17th-ranked Hawkeyes came at the most pressure-packed moment uh, after starting kicker Drew Stevens had two field goal tries blocked and had two kickoffs go out of bounds. So Meter got the call, and when his 38-yarder went through, his teammates mobbed him and hoisted him on their shoulders. And that's a really good college football story, right? Here's this guy. He transfers. He wants to play in the Big Ten. He's a backup kicker. He's playing behind a better kicker all year, a guy who's you know a pretty solid starter. And one day, the starter has a bad day, and it happened to be Friday um, with Drew Stevens having the two field goals blocked and the two kickoffs go out of bounds. So Meter gets to go into the game. And he kicks a game winner. And now for the rest of his life, he can look back and think about the time when he kicked a game-winning field goal in a Big Ten Conference football game. That's really cool. And that's like a big part of what I love about college football. I know it's what uh, John loves about college football as well. For Nebraska, though, three of Iowa's last five wins over Nebraska have come on late field goals which that's brutal for Nebraska fans. Absolutely. Um, quote to lose in that fashion. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Close quote. Nebraska coach Matt rule said after the game, uh, Kirk Ferentz and talking about his kicking situation said, quote, drew just had a tough day today. He's been a really good performer for us. And just so consistent that the fact to have two kickoffs go out of bounds, I just felt like maybe it's time to let him sit a little bit, close quote. So Meter was called on after Ethan Herkett intercepted Chubba Purdy's pass and ran it to the Huskers 37 with 15 seconds left. This was a really hard-fought win for the Hawkeyes. Iowa had three three-and-outs to open the second half and punted a fifth straight time before they got the ball back at their 27 with less than a minute left. Then Tommy Hill intercepted Deacon Hill's pass over the middle to give Nebraska the ball with 31 seconds left. But when Herkett stepped in front of Purdy's pass on second down, Iowa was in position for meter with a gusty wind at his back. So yes, folks, you heard that correctly. Nebraska intercepted a pass with 31 seconds left in a tie game and managed to lose the game in regulation. That is an absolutely stunning turn of events and as devastating of a defeat as Nebraska could pretty much ever experience. They had the ball with the chance to win or at worst go to OT. Instead, they throw a pick that was returned into field goal range, then promptly give up a 22-yard run to set up the game-winning kick. Um, Nebraska just couldn't help but turn the ball over at times. Um, Purdy had a really bad fumble that they were lucky to recover. And one thing John messaged me about for this game, and he says, how does this keep happening? And by this, I'm sure he means, how does Iowa keep pulling out these crazy close games? Um, it's wild Iowa won this game with how little offense they had in the second half. But it's just... The defense and the special teams and the timely big plays for Iowa are just really impressive the way they make it work. Um, John also noted to me during the game, he talked about how the bootleg passes were working really well for Iowa. And that was true. 
the bootleg hill that was where they got made some hay for sure but as for how Iowa winning this game I mean it's it's wild it's just wild the way Iowa wins games they seem destined to lose they had so little offense in the second half and they still managed to win in regulation Ferentz has some kind of dark magic working on his behalf and you know good for him and that's the power I guess of great defense and special teams I was impressed that Iowa overcame the loss of Cooper DeGene and still held Nebraska to 10 points I think it's amazing what Phil Parker has accomplished at uh, Iowa this season Um, to lose your best player and the linchpin of your defense like that and to keep going like you didn't miss a beat that's really impressive stuff It'll be really interesting, I think, to see whom Iowa targets to be its next offensive coordinator. And then we'll find out, you know, if the issues have more to do with the head coach or the offensive coordinator. Because often, you know, it's always easy to blame the coordinators. But I, as I know, cheering for my own team, the head coach has his input on the offense and the defense. And he has an influence. And, you know, usually the head coach is either more of an offensive coach or a defensive coach. And they have their influence on their side of the ball. So that's definitely something that comes across. Um, The two blocked field goals by Nebraska were huge. It kept them in the game. And really, Nebraska, you know, had every chance to win this game and just, just didn't do it. So with the win, Iowa goes to 10 and 2. You got to give the Hawkeyes a lot of credit. They won the Big Ten West. They won 10 games um, in a tough Big Ten conference. So it was a down year overall for West teams, but Iowa managed to take advantage. And and they won. They went 10-2. and two. You know, you got to give it up for them. And with the loss, Nebraska drops to 5-7. and seven. So that's, that's rough for the Cornhuskers. And we'll see if they have any kind of APR. I don't know what the APR situation is. Some five and seven teams can go to bowl games. And it's just unclear how many spaces there will be. I think there'll be more clarity after we get past championship weekend. And we'll see um, which teams get bowls that are if or if any five and seven teams get bowl games. Because there are so definitely some five and seven teams in the Big Ten who wish they could get a bowl game. All right, moving on to the next game. We have uh, Penn State 42, Michigan State 0. Total yards, Penn State had 586 to Michigan State's 53. Michigan State had just 88 yards passing. So how did they manage only 53 yards overall if they had 88 yards passing? Well, they had negative 35 yards rushing with an unheard of negative 1.3 yards per rush. Michigan State only turned it over once, so it wasn't like they just gave Penn State the ball. Penn State earned it, Um, and this was as dominant of a victory as it appeared to be. For Penn State, QB Drew Aller was 17 for 26 for 292 yards, two TDs, and zero picks for a QBR of 79.9. So... A very solid day for Aller. Um, running back, Katron Allen led the way for Penn State with 170, excuse me, 137 yards on a gaudy 9.1 yards per rush. 
Nicholas Singleton also had 118 yards on 6.6 yards per rush. So it didn't matter who was getting the ball. Um, they were, they had big holes to run through and the running backs were getting the job done running through those holes. No one player stuck out in the Penn state receiving core as drew Aller spread the ball around to a ton of different receivers. Tight end Theo Johnson had four catches for 59 yards and a touchdown. So we'll highlight him. Um, and on defense, D end Adisa Isaac had seven tackles, a sack and one and a half tackles for loss. For Michigan State, QB Caden Hauser was 11 for 19 for 87 yards on just 4.6 yards per attempt. He had zero TDs and one interception for a QBR of 31.1. Nathan Carter managed 39 yards on eight carries, but that was the high point of the Michigan State rushing attack, which could not just not get going against the stout Penn State front. Hauser alone had seven carries for negative 41 yards. So... Penn State was making life tough for Caden Hauser all day. Um, Montori Foster had two catches for 35 yards and tight end Malik Carr at four for 34, but it was not enough to get the Spartan offense moving in any meaningful way. Um, Penn State's a really good team, everybody. Anybody who tells you otherwise is wrong. I have heard this narrative that Penn State is somehow not an impressive team. It is really hard to go 10 and two in the big 10. And it's even harder to do it as convincingly as Penn state has done it. And then you look, their only two losses are to the number two and number three ranked teams in the country. So Penn state's, I mean, they're great and they're probably, they're going to get into a new year, six bowl probably. And you know, for my money, we'll see the opponent, but they'll probably win that bowl game because they're very, very good. Um, for Sparty, this game is kind of forgotten immediately because Jonathan Smith is the new head coach at Michigan state. It's, this is a really, this is a big hire. I think he did an amazing job turning around his alma mater, Oregon state. And I just think this is the best hire of the coaching carousel so far should be a huge upgrade from Mel Tucker. This is an a plus hire for Sparty. And it really couldn't have worked out better. I know, I know it was a rough season, Michigan State fans, but there is serious light at the end of the tunnel because Jonathan Smith plays a hard nose. And it's not just that Jonathan Smith is a really accomplished coach, but he plays a Big Ten brand of football. You know, his teams are stout on the line of scrimmage. They're t- they're tough on defense. You know, they can run the ball. He is, you know, he'll build something sustainable. I I would almost I would. You know, I'm not a betting man myself, but if I were, I would bet on Jonathan Smith to succeed at Michigan State. So as a fan of a rival big of a, you know, not a rival rival, but of a rival Big Ten team, I am unhappy about the hire because and that says that it's a great hire for Michigan State. All right, moving on to the next game. We had. The game. Number three. Michigan against number two, Ohio State. And it came out Michigan 30, Ohio State 24. Total yards, Michigan had 338. Well, Ohio State had 378. Um, the Buckeyes had two turnovers. Well, Michigan had one. That's the difference in the game right there. 
For Michigan, QB J.J. McCarthy was a rock-solid 16 for 20 for 148 yards. 7.4 yards per attempt is lower than his average by quite a bit. But with one TD um, and an 80% completion percentage, McCarthy managed an impressive QBR of 94.5. So that's a really high QBR score. So that means that JJ McCarthy was incredibly, um, incredibly efficient in this game. Blake Corum had a decent, if unspectacular day with 88 yards on four yards per rush. And, uh, two TDs, excuse me at wide receiver, Michigan's most important skill players made some big, plays colston tight end colston loveland had five catches for 88 yards star wide receiver roman wilson had three for 36 including um including a tight a td cornelius johnson added four for 33 it doesn't seem like a lot but on a day where the running game was the focus michigan was efficient in the passing game and that efficiency was key against a tough buckeye defense also i misspoke um ohio state had two turnovers michigan had none so i wrote that down wrong in my notes but i knew as soon as i said it that it was wrong so i just double checked the box score and yeah two turnovers for the buckeyes zero for michigan and that's the story of a six-point game for sure on defense for michigan linebacker junior colson had a nice day with 11 tackles For Ohio State, QB Kyle McCord had an up-and-down day. He was 18 for 30 for 271 yards, 9 yards per attempt, and 2 TDs, but he also threw 2 costly picks. Travion Henderson, also at running back, struggled to get going with just 60 yards on 19 carries. The Michigan front did a great job limiting his effectiveness. Um, It was really a fantastic job for Michigan to keep Henderson under wraps the way that they did. All-world Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison did have 118 yards on five catches and had a touchdown. Um, But despite these gaudy stats, Ohio State was not able to come out with a win. Julian Fleming added three grabs for 59 yards, and Cade Stover had three for 42. The Buckeyes just didn't run the ball well enough to complement the passing game on this day, unfortunately. Um, Rod Moore's interception in Michigan territory with 25 seconds left sealed a 30-24 win for the Wolverines on Saturday, running their win streak over the Buckeyes to three games. Ryan Day is now 1-3 and three against the Wolverines and has lost three in a row. Before that skid, Ohio State had won the game against Michigan. They had won eight straight and 15 of 16 against Michigan, including a 7-0 and record under Day's predecessor, Urban Meyer. Um, Day said, quote, we're all disappointed. We know what this game means to so many people. To come up short is crushing, close quote. So <clears throat> it's a really tough loss for Ohio State. I thought Michigan was really sharp and aggressive in its execu- execution. Michigan went three for three on fourth downs, 
They used a backup quarterback for a couple plays to gain 22 yards on the ground, executed a halfback pass to set up a fourth quarter field goal that put Michigan up 10. Um, <clears throat> I cannot believe Michigan fooled Ohio State with that halfback pass, by the way. I thought the Buckeyes would be better prepared for the inevitable one or two Michigan trick plays this year, um, but they were not. After Ohio State cut the lead to 27-24 with 8.05 left on a 14-yard touchdown pass from Kyle McCord to All-American Marvin Harrison Jr., Michigan took seven minutes off the clock on the subsequent drive, and James Turner kicked a 37-yard field goal to make it 30-24 with 105 remaining. Ohio State absolutely needed the defense to get a stop and get off the field, and they couldn't do it and let seven minutes drain off the clock on a drive when they absolutely needed the ball. Seven excruciating minutes for Buckeye fans everywhere. Just absolutely brutal. They could not get a stop there. Because 65 seconds is not a lot of time to lead a team when you need a touchdown, not just a field goal. If you need a field goal, right? 65 seconds, yeah, you can go down, get balls kicked off, you get it, probably get on the 25. You can go down and get in field goal range, you know, if things go well. But to get a touchdown with that little time left, that's tough. You have to be really, really efficient. And the Buckeyes were not able to do it. Um, one thing that was interesting is Ohio State had asserted itself early in the second half with a 75-yard drive, finishing it off with eight straight runs and a tying three-yard touchdown run by Travion Henderson. So what happened to that commitment to the run game over the rest of the contest? It seemed like after that drive, Day went right back to chucking the ball all over the yard instead of building on that running success. Now, Travion Henderson's overall stat line wasn't great, um, but just knowing the fact that the team... We know that in this game, for 20-plus years, whichever team runs the ball for the most yards has won this game. So the fact that Ryan Day called, you know, still called as many passing plays as he did, I, you know, I question it a little bit, and if he shouldn't have stayed committed to the run game a little more. The last time the Buckeyes lost three straight in this rivalry was 1995 to 1997 when John Cooper was leading the program and the Wolverines dashed Ohio state's national championship hopes regularly. Cooper went two, 10 and one against Michigan in what was otherwise a hall of fame career. So my question for John, if he was here, but my question for you listeners is have we entered John Cooper territory with Ryan day? Day's overall Ohio State record is incredible. It is. It's incredible. But one in three against Michigan is not getting the job done. I don't personally think there's any chance Day gets fired this year because as successful he is as he is, that would be crazy. But is he on the hot seat entering 2024? Buckeye fans, I know, want him gone now. So he's lost a lot of goodwill with the fan base. And I think I don't. I'm not sure if Ryan Day can survive another year where he loses to Michigan. So the game next year could be Ryan Day. I don't think it's this year. I don't think it's going to happen now. I know a lot of Buckeye fans want 
Ohio State to make a move, but I just don't think that's what's going to happen. Um, but it is something that where Ryan Day has a lot to answer for because the Buckeyes are almost assuredly out of the playoff hunt now. I mean, they could get back into it, but they need a bunch of games to go their way on championship weekend. And I think they need like four different things to happen. Um, so I'm not sure that that's just a very likely scenario. And that's just for them to have a chance. That's not guaranteeing they'd be in either. So I don't see Ohio State getting back in the playoff picture. So they're not going to win a national title with Marvin Harrison, which seems like a waste that Marvin Harrison was not on a national title team as dominant as he's been. Um, that said, let's talk about Michigan. I mean, the Wolverines, to come up like this big, we'd question whether they'd gone away from their passing game in recent weeks. I wasn't sure how well that was going to work, but the Wolverines committed to running the ball, and when they did throw the ball, they were incredibly efficient doing it. I mean, 16 for 20 from J.J. McCarthy is really impressive, and J.J. McCarthy has now played two really great games against Ohio State the last two years. Um, he's kind of saved some of his best stuff for the biggest stage. And, you know, he should probably, he's a guy who probably deserves to get at this point with as well as he played against Ohio state, he should probably be getting more Heisman buzz than he is. Um, Michigan state is, you know, almost assuredly going to pop up to number two. I would imagine when the new playoff poll come out, um, and they'll be in a really good, really good situation, you know, as long as they can beat Iowa next week in the Big Ten title game, which I fully anticipate there. You know, spoiler alert, we'll preview it, but I'm fully anticipating uh, that Michigan is going to win that game and be in the college football playoff. So it's been a dream season for Michigan. It's been a controversial season with all the allegations of sign stealing and all the things off the field. But, you know, you have to say that this version of Michigan um, achieves at the highest level throughout the regular season, which is really which, yes, we care about who wins the national title. But this is a regular season sport and the Michigan Wolverines just went 12 and 0. So Michigan fans, you should bask in the glory of this right now. Um, not a lot of undefeated seasons out there. so. You know, enjoy it, Michigan fans. Um, and for Ohio State, they dropped to 11 and one, and it's only one loss. But boy, when you recruit at the level Ohio State does at a top three level in the country every single year, you know, you expect to win these games and you expect to be the champion of your conference and to go to the college football playoff. So this is a tough one for the Buckeye faithful to swallow for sure. Um, there's no question about that. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a contentious off season in Columbus and it'll be a situation where Ryan day will be fine as long as he keeps winning. But, you know, next year against Michigan, I would say Ryan day had better, had better find a way to beat Michigan next year. All right. Moving right along. We have Purdue, 35, Indiana, 31. Um, first things first, Tom Allen has been fired. 
by Indiana University. It'll be really interesting to see whom they target in their coaching search. You know, remember, folks, listeners, friends, in the new world of college football, all Big Ten jobs are great jobs. So IU should be able to select a really good candidate. The resources, the money, um, you know, any of these coaches taking a new job in the Big Ten are taking on generational wealth for the rest of their lives, whether they succeed or fail. So Indiana should have a pick of a lot of good coaches. And I'll be really excited to see, you know, who ends up being the next coach at IU. Um, in the meantime, we'll talk about the game. Total yards, Purdue had 453 to IU's 359. Both teams had similar success in the running and passing games. Both averaged between 7.3 and 8.1 yards per attempt passing, and each was held to just 3.8 yards per rush running the ball. So those this was a remarkably even game, except for the fact that IU had three turnovers while Purdue had none. Take away one of those turnovers, IU probably wins the game. Take away a couple of those turnovers, IU maybe wins the game comfortably. But they committed them, and that's how it goes. For Purdue, Hudson Card was 21 for 34 for 275 yards on 8.1 yards per attempt, three TDs, and zero picks. Card also had 85 yards rushing on 12 carries, so that helped the cause a lot as well. Uh, Tyrone Tracy chipped in 48 yards on 11 carries and fellow running back Devin Mockaby had a harder time with just 42 on 18 carries. Star wide receiver Dion Burks led Purdue with seven catches for 87 yards, while tight end George Burden had five grabs for 74 yards and a TD. On D, linebacker Nick Scourton had six tackles, including two sacks. For IU... QB Brendan Soresby was 17 for 31 for 226 yards on 7.3 yards per attempt, three TDs, but three interceptions too. And those interceptions absolutely killed IU's chances in this game. Running back Josh Henderson had nine carries for 44 yards, while Brendan Soresby had 44 yards on 15 carries. And Trent Howland added 37 yards on 4.6 yards per rush. So IU is able to run the ball a little bit, but not too much. Um, wide receiver EJ Williams led IU with 97 yards on six catches. And wide receiver Donovan McCulley added five grabs for 48 yards and a TD. Um, initial thoughts are, well, we'll get, to the, we'll get to this transfer portal. But first, Indiana closed out another forgettable season with another frustrating finale. The Hoosiers lost their final three games by a total of 10 points, blowing late leads in all three. So really tough way to end the season. And you kind of understand um, why it was the end of the road for Tom Allen. Cause that was just three years in a row. You know, he had a really good year, the COVID year in 2020, but he's now at three consecutive seasons where they've just underachieved. And you know, there's some good players on the Hoosiers and to go three and nine is just is rough. So that's why he's out. It'll be interesting to see uh, where Indiana looks to find a new head coach uh, for Purdue. Ryan Walters team showed a lot of resilience coming from down two scores to win this one. It's definitely something to build off of getting a rivalry win in year one. 
Um, and Brandon Sorsby threw three picks Saturday, then immediately entered the transfer portal. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up. He had some really good moments this year, but he also made a ton of mistakes with the ball. Um, IU receiver Donovan McCulley is also in the transfer portal now. And I believe Purdue wide receiver Dion Burks is in the transfer portal as well. So some of the key players from this game are moving on with IU. It's understandable with the coaching staff, obviously with Purdue, that's pretty devastating. If Dion Burks leaves, um, that is not something that Ryan Walters wants to see happen. And I'm sure he is doing his best to talk him into staying. All right. With the win, Purdue gets goes to four and eight with the loss. Indiana drops to three and nine. Next up, we had the Northwestern Wildcats 45, the Illinois Illini 43. This was a little bit of a barn burner. Northwestern QB Ben Bryant was 24 for 32 for 234 yards and 7.3 yards per attempt, two TDs, but also two picks. The pick six was a particularly bad throw by Mr. Bryant, um, but he played well enough and the team, the rest of the team played well enough. They were able to overcome uh, those mistakes and win the game. Running back Cam Porter had 69 yards on 4.3 yards per rush. So an okay day from him. And wide receiver Cam Johnson led the Cats with seven catches for 124 yards and a TD. Bryce Kurtz chipped in 44 yards on four catches. On D, DB Rod Hurd had nine tackles, a half tackle for loss, and one pass defended. And for Illinois, John Paddock was 24 for 34 for 334 yards on 9.8 yards per attempt, three TDs, and two picks. So both TDs in this game threw two picks, and both TDs in this game made a lot of plays. So it was an exciting game, a back-and-forth game um, for sure. Running back Reggie Love had a nice day with 160 yards rushing on 4.6 yards per rush for Illinois. And wide receiver Casey Washington had a monster day with nine catches for 218 yards and three touchdowns. Those are video game numbers. Isaiah Williams also added six catches for 57 yards. All right, thoughts today on this game. Isaiah Williams for Illinois went over 1,000 yards receiving. He's had a stellar year, and I believe he's an NFL-quality player. And he threw for a TD as well on Saturday on a trick play. So um, big year for him. Big congrats to Isaiah Williams on a really impressive season, even though, obviously, Illinois' season didn't go as well as I'm sure he wished it did. Um, there were some really good highlight reel catches in this game amidst the sloppy play. That second-quarter Casey Washington TD catch was absurd. Um, he had a couple catches like that, actually. So it was a big game for him. And he's just, he's, a, you know, he's an impressive athlete. Um, he showed that off in the game. This game was back and forth all day. Ultimately, Illinois had four turnovers while Northwestern had two. And that was the difference in a very close game. Um, I thought the muff punt was particularly devastating to Illinois, in my opinion. The Cats scored shortly after to take the lead. So they were going to have Illinois was going to have the lead in the ball. Instead, they muffed the punt and the cats took the lead back. And I, I don't think, and then, you know, didn't ever give it up. Illinois coach Brett Bielema was frustrated after the loss to say the least quote. I always tell our guys, you lose more games than you win. And today we lost. 
Northwestern scored 24 points off our turnovers. You're never going to win a game doing that. Never. Close quote. Um, two fourth quarter turnovers that resulted in Northwestern touchdowns uh, hurt Illinois before the Illini made the game close on a one-yard TD pass from Paddock to Washington and then an 80-yard TD pass from Paddock to Washington with 55 seconds left. A two-point conversion try after the Paddock to Washington TD was no good as the officials wiped out a defensive pass interference call because the ball was tipped. That was bull, Bielema said. The call should have been defensive holding. Then the tip wouldn't have mattered. It's a shame that our season came down to that, an incorrect call. Close quote. Uh, a very defiant Brett Bielema, I would say. Um, I will say, though, I went back and watched the play. And yeah, the DB is, I mean, he's holding the receiver. He is holding the receiver throughout the play. So I actually think Bielema's right that it should have been called a hold. And they should have had, you know, they should have gotten the half the distance and another shot, a crack at it. But, you know... If it hadn't come down to the end, then they wouldn't have had a chance to lose either. So it's a tough way to lose a game because it was such a blatant holding penalty on Northwestern. But, you know, our Big Ten officials are not exactly covering themselves in glory here. So a defiant Brett Bielema, but I would also say a correct Brett Bielema and that it was a really bad, um, a bad call. The Illini, though, ultimately just made too many mistakes um, with all the turnovers and the muff snap on third down. It was just brutal. Uh, one thing I noticed about Northwestern under Braun is they just they never stop attacking. Even with the lead, they were throwing YOLO shots down the field, which ultimately got them in trouble and made it so they almost, you know, how Northwestern almost or, or Illinois almost came back and tied the game. But it also means that you're never really safe playing against Northwestern because they're always looking to attack. And I think that's one of the big reasons why they've had as much success as they have this year, because they have adopted the mentality of their head coach, which is to attack. Um, and as an old football coach of mine used to say, it's hit or be hit, right? It's a simple game. It's blocking and tackling, throwing and catching, hit or be hit. And Northwestern has been on the attack this year, despite the fact that you'd argue on paper their talent uh, was not as high as a lot of the teams they were playing against. So really impressive year for the Cats. With the win, Northwestern goes to 7-5, and five, and their coach, former interim, now head coach David Braun, has been named Big Ten Coach of the Year. And I think he richly deserves it, because this Northwestern team was 1-11 last year, they were supposed to win one or two games this year and they came out and went seven and five. So really impressive on their part. On the flip side, Illinois drops to five and seven with the loss. That really hurts. It definitely feels like a big step back for the Illini. Um, a really subpar season from Brett Bielema. You wonder in retrospect with how well Paddock played down the stretch. Was Bielema playing the wrong quarterback most of the year? And if he had been playing John Paddock, how many more games would Illinois have won? I don't know. But I think it's a fair question to ask because Paddock was pretty fantastic when he took the gig over. Um, and you do, you do wonder why he wasn't the guy taking the snaps the whole way. 
So it'll be a long offseason in Champaign. We'll see if Illinois is one of those teams that at five and seven has good enough APR, um, which I uh, to qualify and have a chance to go to a bowl game. I don't I'm not sure exactly what the pecking order is among five and seven teams, but they are all sitting there hoping for the bowl game. Because the thing about a bowl game is, you know, we say, oh, it's just another bowl game. What does it mean? Well, what it means is 15 extra practices for your team. What it means is all the young players on your team get 15 extra practices to develop. And that's as many practices you get as like a spring or fall camp or close to. So those 15 practices are really huge. Um, So it does make a big difference, you know, whether these fringe teams at five and seven and when teams that make it to six and six get into a bowl game or not, because it makes development that much harder for the next year if you don't get into a bowl game. All right, moving on in the next game, we had the Wisconsin Badgers 28, the Minnesota Golden Gophers 14. Wisconsin QB Tanner Mordecai was 14 for 22 for 145 yards on 6.6 yards per attempt, two TDs and one pick. Running back Braylon Allen had 165 yards on 6.3 yards per rush and two TDs. Mordecai added 69 key yards on nine carries. And at wide receiver, Kim Ray DK had two catches for 46 yards. On D, defensive back, uh, Hunter Waller had 12 tackles. For Minnesota, QB Ethan Kaliak Manis was 16 of 28 for 167 yards, six yards per attempt, one TD, and one pick. Jordan Newbin at running back for Minnesota managed 93 yards on 3.9 yards per rush and one TD. Um, But Newbin never really breaks big runs, no matter how good the blocking is. He's, you know, he's a good story and he's a decent enough back, but there's a hard ceiling on what he can accomplish um, because he has that lack of top end speed and he just doesn't have that extra agility gear that, you know, your better big 10 running backs have. And that's been a problem with Minnesota with other guys hurt. The guys that Minnesota have that have that kind of dynamism, um, Darius Taylor and Zach Evans specifically, you know, are both hurt and have been unable to play and it's hurt. You know, it's really damaged Minnesota's chances on the field. PJ flex offense really relies a lot on having a dynamic running back who can make guys miss and make plays. And if you don't have a guy like that at running back, it makes it hard for the Gophers offense to be successful. Um, At wide receiver, Daniel Jackson had a nice day with 121 yards on nine catches and a TD. Um, He did have a key drop to kill one late drive, and he had a bad fumble to kill another late drive. So... I guess what I'm saying is, despite the nice stats, Daniel Jackson had a really tough second half for the Gophers. And the drop, the fumble was rough because it was after a really long gain and the Gophers were in position to score. So that was terrible. And then the drop was really rough because they caught um, they caught Wisconsin in a blitz and were throwing a screen pass. And so it was the perfect call against the blitz. And if Daniel Jackson catches that, he maybe goes to the house. So those were two scoring opportunities lost um, just because Minnesota's best player 
for whatever reason, was not able to make the plays on that day. So it's a common theme in the Gophers is they had injuries and the guys who were injured, their backups didn't play well. And then Minnesota's, you know, starting players, the guys you expect to play well, also didn't play very well. So I got to say, first of all, for Wisconsin, let's talk about them. Braylon Allen looked healthy and did great. He was the key for Wisconsin. Um, that 165 yards on over six yards per rush made uh, an enormous difference and was, and he was dynamic. He was making guys miss. He was doing all the things that you have to do as a running back in the big 10. Um, so that was really impressive to watch. And the other key for the Wisconsin offense was Tanner Mordecai's ability to extend plays with his legs. You know, he either extend the play to throw the ball or extend it and then rush the ball, you know, on when the passing, when, when the, there was good coverage downfield, you know, he did both of those things and that kept drives going for Wisconsin. And that especially, you know, in the third, in the big third quarter that Wisconsin dominated, that was the difference in this game, you know, that made a huge difference. Um, so give Wisconsin offense credit. You, they really showed up and executed well. It was one of the better games they played all year. Um, so congratulations to them. Minnesota didn't have the depth ultimately at running back, linebacker, or DB to sustain the, in, the cluster of injuries they had at each position. This was especially true at running back and DB today as Jordan Newbin was the fifth RB when everybody was healthy. And Minnesota lost two defensive backs during the game in starting star cornerback Justin Wally and also backup Tariq Watson. So losing Wally and Watson from an already thin DB core was just really more than the Gophers could um, could manage. And then they were throwing out freshmen. They were throwing out guys and also guys on the roster who maybe are experienced but are the, not the guys you want out there um, in a must-win game. So... It was really tough. The Gophers had really tough injury problems this year, but everybody has injury problems. And, you know, Iowa had amazing or incredible injury problems and managed to win the division anyway. So that's not to let the Minnesota coaching staff off the hook at all. Um, once again, PJ Fleck ran the ball on third and medium at a key point in the game and didn't make it. I don't know what to say at this point except that you cannot run the ball on third and medium on a regular basis. You just can't do it. It's something you do once in a while when you catch the defense cheating a ton. It's not something you do on a regular basis. And PJ Fleck has made it something he does on a regular basis. And it is losing Minnesota games. You aren't even giving your offense a chance to succeed if you aren't throwing the ball when you need to throw the ball. And that shows you how you know, PJ feels about his passing game that he doesn't go to it when he needs it. And on that note, uh, Minnesota quarterback, Ethan Kaliak Manis starting quarterback has entered the transfer portal. So I'm not exactly sure what transpired between Fleck and Kaliak Manis. Um, but my guess is the word is that Minnesota is looking to add a transfer portal quarterback to compete, to be the starting quarterback. And Ethan did not want, you know, Ethan decided to get in the portal instead of staying to compete for a job, which is, you know, what a lot of guys do now. 
Um, but it's always a little disappointing when you want to see guys stay and compete, you know, like they used to guys used to stay and compete for jobs when the transfer restrictions were more onerous. Um, so he will be out of Minnesota with all likelihood and it'll be a very different, uh, Gophers offense next year. And that's true for a lot of these teams, you know, with Indiana's got its quarterback in the portal, uh, Purdue's got its best receiver in the portal. You know, these teams with the transfer portal. Now these teams look drastically different on an annual basis. So that can cause a lot of consternation and worry as you're worried about your guys leaving, but it also brings a lot of hope because you're hoping that guys come in who can play better than the guys who left. So Transfer portal is a thorny subject. I don't want to get too far into that because then I'm going to get way off base. But with the win, the Wisconsin Badgers go to seven and five. And with the loss, the Minnesota Golden Gophers drop to five and seven. Minnesota's worst record since 2017, which was PJ Flex first year. Um, we'll see if Minnesota is one of the teams that has, I know they have pretty high APR. We'll see if they are a team that a five and 17 that potentially gets a bowl game. I already talked about how important those bowl games are for development. So whichever five and seven team sneaks into a bowl game is going to feel a little better about the, a lot better about their development for next year than the teams who don't. Um, yeah, that's about it. It was a rough season for the Gophers. Um, mercifully i guess that the regular season is over as rough as it was and as bad as the injuries have been uh hopefully all these teams can get healthy now that they have a little break before bowl season all right last up we have the maryland terrapins 42 and the Rutgers scarlet knights 24 total yards maryland at 498 to Rutgers 355 um both teams had some success running the ball. The difference was that the Maryland passing game was prolific, while the Rutgers passing game was largely ineffective. Maryland QB Leah Tugavailoa was 24 for 31 for 361 yards, 11.6 yards per attempt, three TDs, and one interception for a scorching hot QBR of 96.0. What an amazing game for Leah. Um, wide receiver or running back, excuse me, Roman Hemby had a nice day with 113 yards on 7.5 yards per rush. Uh, wide receiver Ty Felton led Maryland with five grabs for 140 yards and a touchdown. So an amazing game from him. And wide receiver Jay Sean Jones added four for 70 yards, while tight end Corey Deitches chipped in two for 64 yards, including a touchdown. So a nice get, uh, day for the receiving core for Maryland. On D, Maryland defensive back Tarheeb still had seven tackles and two passes defended, so nice day for him. Uh, for Rutgers, QB Gavin Wimsat had a tough day. He was just 13 for 34 for 165 yards, 4.9 yards per attempt, one TD, and one pick. And I did predict in the preview that Wimsat would throw a pick and that Maryland would win this game. I, however, did not predict the margin of victory that Maryland had, um, who after a back and forth first half, Maryland fully dominated the second half of this game. And it was really impressive for Rutgers QB Kyle Manungai or running back Kyle Manungai did his best to keep them the Scarlet Knights in it with 118 yards on nearly six yards per rush. Um, but it just wasn't enough on a day when the Maryland's when Maryland's Leah Tugavailoa was lighting it up. 
wide receiver Isaiah Washington had three grabs for 67 yards. And, you know, Leah Tugavailoa score T and the Terrapins score TDs on their first four possessions and never looked back, handing Rutgers its fourth straight loss. They've beaten the Scarlet Knights three straight times and in five of six games. So Maryland has established some dominance in this series for sure. Um, thoughts. Maryland got off to a fast start scoring on, on the first drive. Then they got a fourth down stop on Rutgers first drive. Then Maryland scored again on its next three drives. Rutgers fought back to make it more of a game at half. Um, and the fourth down and five touchdown screen pass from Rutgers was a great call. And it was 28, three before that score. So give Rutgers credit for fighting back to 28, 17. Um, however, in the second half, the dam just broke and Maryland overwhelmed Rutgers. Tug of Iowa came into the game needing 268 yards passing to overtake Curtis Painter of Purdue for the conference career mark at 11,163 yards, and he had the record by halftime. He finished with 11,256 yards, hitting 10 different receivers in the game. I'm not sure if Leah's an NFL starter with all the picks he throws, but he's had a really solid year, and he'll definitely get a shot at the next level, and you have to give him credit um, for becoming the all-time Big Ten passing leader. Mike Loxley said after the game, quote, we didn't have to work hard to get him the record because he executed the system. It took care of itself. The offense was the best it's been in the first half in about a month, close quote. Rutgers fought back in the first half, but they just didn't have the horses outside of Manungai, whereas Maryland just has a lot more skill position talent than Rutgers does. And that was the difference in this game and kind of what I thought would be the difference in this game was the disparity in skill position talent. Um, Rutgers obviously has a really nice running back, but they just don't have the same kind of wide receivers and tight ends like Maryland has with the win. Maryland gets to seven and five. So pretty good season for them. And with the loss Rutgers drops to six and six. So they are still going to a bowl game. So it's still a successful season for Rutgers as that has not been something they've frequently done too frequently. Um, so good for them. All right. You made it to the end of the podcast. I somehow filled up a lot of time all by myself, so I hope you enjoyed it. Um, John and I will for sure, both of us, be back uh, to review the Big Ten title game and to talk about bowl season once bowl invitations are sent out. So we'll do both of those things. And then we're going to do a lot of fun stuff in the offseason. So please um, interact with us. And we are looking forward to, for mailbag episodes, we're looking forward to doing lots of fun themed episodes in the offseason. All right, take care.